you tonight or this morning uh, about a mother's legacy. And, uh, I'm going to take a few moments. First off, uh, give the women a, a bit of time. And let's make sure, men, that the women aren't stuck with all the kids today. Let's make sure that uh, maybe uh, we get all these mothers in here for service this morning. I uh, was getting a complaint from my wife, and so I can preach this part of the sermon uh, without her here, so that uh, you know she doesn't miss anything. This is something I can give to the moms who are here, but uh, my wife already knows this because she's the one who told me. She said, "You know, honey, uh, a lot of times I have to play catch up because I'm doing things right after service, and you start the sermon." And you make a few introductory points and you explain some things and you give out the scripture and then I show up and I have to just hope that I can catch on to what you're talking about. And I was thinking about that and I was thinking, you know what, it's true. There's a lot of things that moms do that we don't recognize. There's a lot of things that moms do that, that we just don't see. Uh, you know, we, we just don't, we don't really understand them. Uh, Growing up, we don't understand them, and, and as we go through the years, we don't understand them, and, and even uh, being married to a mom, as I am, uh, you don't fully understand some of the sacrifices that are made uh, on your behalf by a mother. And um, what I wanted to talk about, though, and, and, and the way I wanted to form this was to encourage you mothers, uh, because... Uh, there is a legacy, a mother's legacy, uh, that I believe is, is, is really, really integral. And I think it started all the way before you were mothers. I think it started way back. I'm going to read from 2 Timothy, but I, I want to I first start off by telling you that way before any mothers existed, there was Adam and Eve. Way back then. Even before Eve, there was Adam, and there was God, triune God that we know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and Adam, and God made him, and he made all the animals, and he made all the earth, he made everything that we see, and things we don't see, he made it all, and he made this steward of it, Adam, he was going to place it in his hands. It's caused a revolution. Angels started getting in arguments with each other. I truly believe that with all my heart. That through God's goodness, he, he created this steward and, they, and the angels were like, I thought we were going to be the stewards of this. And a few of them weren't happy. A few of them decided, you know what? This is my deal. This is, I'm the king of kings here. And God said, no, I didn't make the king of kings in the form of an angel. I made the king of kings in the form of a man. And as all this was going on, he looked down at his man that he made to be a steward over everything. And he said, something's missing. Something's missing. 
I mean, this whole thing is going to play out, and there's, there's something missing. There's a mother that needs to be made. I need to make a mother. You know, we have that phrase, mother of all nations. Right? We have a lot of phrases that have to do with mothers, you know. But really, what that phrase means is there's something that has to create everything else. That has to that has to be uh, 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 you know the, the biggest the biggest and most important creation of God. I don't mean to upset any men here who think you know they're really important. You guys are important and special in God's eyes. But when it comes to creation, he created a special little niche for women. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think Eve had to eat the apple or any of that nonsense. I don't believe that for one second. But I think even despite that, God knew that mothers were essential because they have a legacy. See, a mother's legacy is something that can't be taken away. The imprint that my mother has made on my life, the imprint that Eve has made on this world is profound. And I'm going to read from the Word of God today uh, about this legacy that I'm talking about, a mother's legacy. And I'm going to read about two women that I think are going to inform us about God. But before I do that, I want to give you another little introduction. An introduction that's the exact opposite of the one I just gave you. That's the introduction that the world today seems to be all gushing over. And that is, you know, the modern woman. The idea that a woman is in control of and has the right over everything else to be a woman. And how that can contrast with God. I, I remember years ago that there was a presidential candidate and his controversial wife made a statement regarding the way she was and her career pursuits. She was a successful woman, powerful woman, influential woman. And she said these words and they stuck with me, and many of you who are older will remember this. Most of you will not. That's why I'm not naming names here, because I don't really care. You can, you can look it up if you want. But God had a plan for what a mother should be. As I, as I spoke, God had a plan of what a mother he thought was missing. He thought what was missing was a mother like he. This is what the world has to say. Like this woman, she was, like I said, a wife of a presidential candidate. She said these words. I could have stayed at home and raised kids and baked cookies. But she reflected that she perceived that her position and her degrees were more worthy of fulfilling. They were more important. At the time of this statement, it 
caused actually some national outrage. It really bothered people. She had to figure out how to walk it back. She even wrote a book about kids to make people feel happy about who she was. And they went through all these attempts to restructure her image. But the fact remains that she thought something else was more important than staying at home and raising kids and baking cookies. And I want to tell you, I think even today, it's still largely the spirit of the age, despite, you know, times where you have these revivals of family values, where you have these periods where people are like, being a housewife is good, you know. There's this underlying idea that just being a mother who takes care of children and raises them up in the ways of the Lord is not good enough. That you got to make your name somehow. You know what I mean? Maybe you got to Beyonce it. You know what I'm saying? You got you to have your thing, right? It's true. I mean, I'm sorry, but I just got to be real with you. I got to be real with you. I, I never ever hear about somebody on Twitter saying, I just want to give a shout out. I just want to give a shout out. To, to Pastor Neary's wife. She's a housewife. Amen. She's a mother. Amen. Yes. She makes cookies. Very good brownies, too. She buys the good stuff. You might think you know Mr. Good Stuff, but, but she knows Mr. Good Stuff. And I'm being real with you. There's plenty of women out there whose husbands are right in the in the public eye, but you don't get they, they you never hear that. But I'll hear it about Beyonce. I'll hear it about somebody else every day of the week. Why? Because they don't value that. They value other things. And it's not just women who are doing this. Don't, don't think I'm picking on these women, because I'm not. They've been taught by men to, to, to value these things. Absentee fathers that cause women to have to stand up and take the load on themselves. The irreverent children who just push away godliness and raise themselves up in other ways even though they were raised in a godly home. And so I want to say something that I just want the mainline media to hear if they can. But most importantly, I want every mother in here to hear it. The attempt to redefine the role of motherhood and the meaning of family is straight from the pits of hell. I want to make a little side note. It takes more than having a baby to be a mother. You know, it's amazing to me that people have fictional characters that have become role models. I got to be honest with you. My kids haven't seen a lot of the role models out there. You know what I mean? 
And I even had some heated conversations with my wife. She's like, I'm busy. I just let her watch this stupid video on the YouTube. It just goes from one to another. I said, you need to turn that off. Not because you're not doing a good job. You can let them watch videos, but you better make sure you know each and every one of them. Because I don't want them to just have role models out there that are teaching things that ain't right. Because that's how kids learn. And nowadays they learn more than, that than ever from those little tablets. And you need to know what your kids are learning. You need to be in control of that. Because there's an importance in the role of motherhood. It's, it's important and it can't be understated here. There's no substitute for a good mother. Just as there's no substitute for a good father, but there's no substitute for a good mother in a family relationship. You know, constantly we're being told on one hand about the family and on the other how that family can be many different things, aren't we? You don't have to have a mom and a dad anymore. You can have a dad and a dad. Right? That's fine. Well, the truth is that it wasn't fine to God. God was crystal clear. He could have just made people poof. He could have been like, oh, I'll just be the Sandman. I'll make Sandman. Could have done that. But he didn't. But before I get too preachy, Let's focus on these women that I'm going to talk about. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. A mother's legacy. And I want to just preface this by saying that I'm very proud of the mothers in this place because they have been examples of what I'm going to preach right here. We might not be the biggest church, but we got a lot of mothers that are trying their best to live this example that I'm going to say right here. And it's called a mother's legacy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. It says, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded it is in you also. Let's pray. Lord Father God, I pray that you raise up children in this place that will be powerfully influenced by the godly guidance and inspiration of motherly women, women who take on motherhood and take on the role of raising up children in a righteous and holy way through your son Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father God, that you bless women today and mothers today with a godly reminder of the great influence they may have when they raise their children up in the ways of the Lord. Bless them here. Be blessed and exalted and have right of way. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.
you know, there's many people who have had less than ideal family backgrounds. And I sometimes when I preach, I have to remind us and remind everyone that there is dysfunction. And there are dysfunctional things that go on. There, there are women here who may, we may be wrestling with things. We may be wrestling with condemnation. You may be wrestling with torment in your spirit. You may be wrestling with your past. And that's why I read this scripture, to be honest with you. I read this scripture because 2 Timothy is an example of two women, two mothers. Lois, who's Timothy's grandmother, and Eunice, who is his mother. And I think that is very significant. And I don't think it should be underplayed. To be honest with you, if I had my way, every single mother today would just preach about these two women. But of course, there's too many great women in the Bible to do that. I have to throw in a little Hannah and throw in some others as well. But I could. Literally, I could edify each and every woman in this place because there's a particular greatness about these two women that's significant. See, Paul refers to these particular women and the role and influence that they had as undoubted. It was undoubted the role they had on Timothy. That means that everyone saw it. Oh yeah, that's that's Eunice's kid. <coughs> that's how it was perceived. See, it's important because they say it especially as a child. That means that like in those very integral parts of his life, before he was saved, before he understood the things of God, these women were huge influences on his life. Then he reminds Timothy of this foundation by bringing up his grandma and saying, this goes back a ways, bro. This foundation that was laid in his life. It's more than just like an honorable mention, right? He's not like, oh yeah, and you know, Timothy had some good moms and grandmas, right? It's not a casual statement made in passing. It's not like, you know, he came up and he just said, oh, you guys were great influence on Timothy. No, it's written. And this was valuable when he wrote something down. And I love the word that he used, undoubtedly. I love that because it means that he wasn't like, hmm, I wonder if I should include these women in this letter. You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't contemplate it. He was like, no, I'm going to write this as very, very, and I'm going to start off this second letter that I write to Timothy uh, this, in this way. I'm going to start it off this way. I'm going to bring these women to the forefront. You know, it's a point of reference that he wants us to have. He wants to remind us. 
And I want to think about that for a second. I want to consider even just the names. This will be something that some of you will like. I, I remember when we had the kids, we, we started looking at name origins and stuff. But we actually took a long time to have kids. So we were looking at name origins for years. And so it's kind of my expertise, to be honest. My wife would be like, uh, you know, what does that mean? And I, she'd tell me what it meant, and I'd be like, no, that's, that's not what it really means, you know? And we would go back and forth about what the words really meant and what the words, you know, and I would say, oh, well, let's know. You're just looking at the Latin. I'm, I'm going even further back than those. And we would go through all of that, you know? But Lois, the name Lois, which is uh, his grandmother, it means agreeable or desirable. Um, and it is interesting because the name in the Greek word for that name corresponds to Naomi or Naomi. So I want you to start playing the tape now, guys, because God's going to reveal something to us that's going to help us. So, Naomi, uh, the name is, that's Ruth's mother-in-law. You've heard me preach on Ruth and Naomi before. So, this is an evident example of the great influence of Ruth. This grandmother had the name Naomi. Hold that in your head. See, her own husband and her two sons died, remember? And Ruth was free to go to her own people, the Moabites, and marry again. She could have left her. But the name Naomi has a meaning. And Ruth saw that meaning. And so Ruth clung to that meaning. It meant agreeable. Meant desirable. This was the desirable future of God. Not to go back to her own people. Not to go back to sin, but to go to righteousness. And so she chooses to return with Naomi to Israel. Think about this. As we go through this, there's little promise of her hope or her future. But it's Naomi who recognizes God's involvement. Ruth doesn't. Ruth's a Moabite. She doesn't get this. She doesn't know the culture. She doesn't know. But Naomi goes, oh, God is doing something here. Now I'm going to get into the line of Jesus and all of the things that go on with that. God has a way of illustrating things to us. Sometimes it can be scary, but if you trust him, he'll take you to where you need to be. The Irish, uh, my name in Irish means humble. That terrifies me, guys. That means I'm going to be scratching pennies my whole life. <laughs> right? But if you trust God, maybe, just maybe, I'll have my Moses moment where I see my kids in the promised land. So God is wise. He gives us wise counsel. He gave Timothy this wise counsel. 
through Naomi. And she was enabled to enter Timothy into something, to realize his destiny. Don't take these things lightly, motherhood. Don't ever do that. Because of your kid, or because of some situation, or because of some problem that you're having, or because of your egghead husband. Our heads are just the shape of an egg, it's not our fault. Please, if we have to be boiled, boil it so that it doesn't crack. <laughs> you have Eunice. That's Lois's daughter. That's Timothy's mom. Her name is really awesome. Because her name means conquering well. And that is the expression of a, of a victory. We don't understand that now because we don't really know what Wells do. But if you've ever been in a place like where Brady grew up, you know what I'm talking about. A conquering well means you can survive next winter. It's a good, happy victory. And I, I want you to consider this. Two mothers. They're in less than ideal circumstances, guys. Her name is so awesome to me because, see, her mother Eunice was awesome, right? She was great. Her name is even traced back to Naomi. She becomes a Christian. She's the leader of them all. She leads them to Christianity. But she doesn't conquer everything. See, because both of these women are Jewish. They're Jewish women. And they live in an area that's called Asia Minor. Derby and Lystra. It's not especially significant. And there's no reference as to why they live there. But see, perhaps when we start to think about the circumstances of Naomi and Ruth, we can begin to understand why they live there. See, things are flipped. These mothers, these mothers are the Jewish ones. And they have Gentile husbands. Lois's husband is dead. Timothy's father is a Greek. Or more simply, a heathen. A Gentile. It's evident that he played little role in the direction of Timothy's life. It's very evident. He's not mentioned. This is out of respect to these two women that he's not mentioned. I want you to think about that. He's a dirty scoundrel who probably didn't repent. Right? If he did repent, it was like one of those late infirmary repentances. Right? You know, he's a drunk his whole life, and then, you know, God gave him grace at the end, but he had no real good influence on Timothy. Right? And these women are in this role. 
Maybe he died by the time Paul wrote the letter. And so just out of Paul's graciousness, he didn't bring him up. Because he died unsaved. We don't know. We just know that there's no mention of him. And the bottom line is that maybe, and I would say quite obviously, there was no real material or spiritual support by these others. And they probably at times opposed what was going on. Opposed the faith of these women. And at the most, or should I should say maybe at the least, was not encouraging. Was not a reinforcement. They had no reinforcements. And they had to maintain a living, plus raise a family, in the environment that was completely heathen. Jewish women in a heathen environment trying to be Christians. And you thought your life was rough. But I want to tell you something. Here's the thing. As I look at this, I look at Proverbs 31. The virtuous wife. Who can find one? And then it talks about the worth of a, of a virtuous wife. Above rubies. The heart of a husband trusts her. He does him good, not evil. She is industrious and diligent in the affairs of the home. She has strength and honor that she clothes herself with. When she opens up her mouth, wisdom comes out. Her words are a law of kindness. She watches over the way of the household. She's a woman who fears the Lord. And she shall be praised. That's what I'd like to focus on as I talk about these women a little bit. That she shall be praised. See, that's the amazing thing to me. And that's the amazing gift of faith. See, there's no question these women were going to be praised. Because they were stable and they were reliable and they had the character of a wife. They maintained things like domestic order. My wife does this for me. And I want to honor her today. I want to honor all of you today because you know she didn't start off a wife. She had to learn those things. You know? Sometimes she had to learn those things the hard way. And what's happened over my life that I have seen is that it released me to pursue duties that I had without having to give her constant direction. You know, one of the things that I love about God is that God can give my life direction for me. 
because I don't have the right directions. You know? Sometimes I, she asks me questions. I know I don't know the answer, and I, I'm going to reveal something to her. So my trick is I say, well, how much have you been reading the Word of God? Because uh, maybe I got a feeling that answer is right there. And she's like, what page? And I'm like, hey, come on, honey. You know, there's this, it's a big book. I'm going to have to investigate that a little bit. What was the question again? Could you write it down for me? See, the thing about you today, wives, that I want to share and I share with my wife is that I'm far better off than if I was without her. Far better off. Not just better off, not just convenient. I'm way better. One thing that my wife, no matter how she wants to beat herself up, no matter what the devil puts in her head, I can just look at her right in the eye, just like I am right now, and I can say, Honey, you knew me before we were saved. You knew me before I ever met you. When I got to you and I showed up at your house, I'm a lot better now than I was before then. A lot better. Not just a little bit. And that's a gift that God has given me. And I want to share that with you because that's the truth. That's what a marriage can be. That's what a marriage should be. Far better off. Because she contributes to the life of me. And she's an essential part of my existence. You know, I've made the mistakes. You know, I have. You know, but my wife, she's shown me things. She's been persistent in her labor. Even if it takes a hammer to my head. You know, the diligence. One of the things that you can do for your husband is you can create a comfortable environment for him. Trust me, guys like that. It's hard work to do that. It really is. It's not easy, especially when you have twins. My wife learned that the hard way. See, everything she did before, she thought that was hard. Then the twins came and she was like, what? I have to do that and then? I have to, it still has to be comfortable? And I, you know, I'd be like, no, I mean, no, it doesn't have to be, you know? <laughs> Let's just try to figure it out. Have you been reading the Word of God a lot? <laughs> just went back to the well. Said, you know what? Hey, I just read Lois. Her name means victory. <laughs> right? Because there's managing of, of the affairs of my home that I can only have my wife do. I remember when I had to say, hey, honey, okay, um, I got this home warranty insurance. A guy's going to show up and he's going to fix the, the washer. 
My wife was like, what? When are you coming home? Uh, well, I'm not coming home. He's coming between, you know, 12 and 1. And, uh, you know, matter of fact, I forgot to tell you, and he just called me, and he's going to be there in a half an hour. And she's like, what? Right? If anyone knows my wife, my wife's an artist. She's creative. She's gifted. She's talented. She's an idea person. Um, she's not comfortable with, you know, men coming in and telling her about wash cycles. You know? I mean, the guy, I'll never forget it. The guy says, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with this. And she's like, yes, there is. And he's like, no, there isn't. I did everything, and there's nothing wrong with it. And she says, what about the smell? He goes, that's not in the contract. I can't tell you about why the smell comes out of there. She says, there's something wrong. And those things happen. You know, there's an element of things that, you know, women have to control that are out of the control of their husband. And sometimes God says here, which includes self-management and self-discipline. You know, my wife has had to learn uh, that she needs to be productive for the sake of the family. Not just do what she's good at, but be productive for the sake of the family. You know? Here's, here, I, you know, I, I've had to say to my wife, okay, here, get your pen out and your pad of paper. Right? Here's the question you need to ask them. Right? Husbands, you have to be able to work with your wives that way. If you want your wife to be a, a, a mother, I want my wife to be the mother of all mothers. I do, and I believe God for that. You know, I want my wife to be a woman that I can say she is the homemaker. The atmosphere of the home is due largely to her. To be honest with you, it's the truth. I just come in and out. You know, and try to not mess things up. That's the role of the woman. And, you know, if I'm going to convict women here on Mother's Day, you know, I apologize. But the one conviction I will give you is that, you know, if the atmosphere in your home ain't right, you're there more than the man. So consider that. That's part of your responsibility. You know? I mean, you know, unless your husband's, you know, peeing on the couch, I mean, you, you, you know, the atmosphere is pretty much something you're doing. You know what I mean? That's a long story, but I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, my wife wants to protect me there. I, I want to tell you, my name, my name is Tumble. I come from humble beginnings. <laughs> Let me tell you something, though. It's more than a job. Okay, no. <laughs> I know, it's my fault. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me, guys. Yes. No, 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 no. No. 
No, no, we can talk about it after church. All right. Let's pray. Let's focus on God here for a second. No, I, I, I do want to tell you that it's more than just a job. It's a role that you have to be a mother, to be a homemaker. That God has designed for you. He's made it for you uniquely. Proverbs 14.1, listen to what the, the Word of God says. It says, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. You know, the husband is the house bond man. So, you know, he is the one that creates the order of the household and the affairs of the household. He's the glue. But he's not primarily involved in the daily duties of a home. You know, I, I do have a problem when I hear mothers who want their husband to be the one who figures out who takes out the garbage. I have a problem with that. Because the husband has very little to do with the creation of the garbage other than buying all the garbage that you've turned into garbage. So maybe little Johnny, you know, should be taking out the garbage. And if he doesn't, you just tell the husband some affairs are not in order. Then the husband will come in and he will deal with Johnny. Johnny's too big for you to deal with him. But the whole idea that the husband is supposed to, you know, know what to do, you know? The whole idea that the husband is supposed to, you know, make, you know, my wife is going to have to tell Anna to get her act together. You know what I mean? I've taught my wife that here's the deal. I don't want to hear about what, what Anna did unless the wrath of God is coming down upon her life. You know? I take that, you know, to be something that she should take pride in. This is her role. Because we're talking about two great women who raised a child without a husband. That means that the beauty and the exemplariness of your character is something that God lifts up. You will be praised when you do it correctly. These are hard things to, to take in sometimes, but you know, you can't be embittered by something that's less than ideal. Just because it's a circumstance of your life. You can't become resentful. You can't start blaming your husband. You can't just become rebellious and uncovered and independent. That's what, you know, that's what that woman that I opened up with, the opposite of what God was talking about. Everyone looks at some of these women as great women, but they're not. They're not godly women. And when you peer into the, 
into it more deeply, you see that. See, these women, they maintain hope and heart. You know? I mentioned that they didn't mention the husbands. And I believe that that was out of respect to those two women. But imagine if they were like, no, Paul, um, I want you to edit this. Uh, I know you spent a lot of time writing this, and I know how much valuable the parchment is and everything, but you made a mention. You didn't say how much of a piece of crap her, her, my husband was. Is that like getting too close to home? Imagine that. Because nowadays, that's what we have to be in there. I mean, I don't really know who she is, but I guarantee you, Alyssa Milano would not think that the crappy husband is going to be mentioned in that article. Right? Okay, I'll move on. Genuine faith. Genuine faith. That's what I'm talking about. Unequal faith. That's what God has given you the ability to have. Women can have that. It's the need of this hour. Godly women. You are needed. You are necessary. The strength of your character and the genuineness of your faith is going to be the thing that people remember. It's going to be the godly influence that is going to be so important of a role that it's not just going to be something that is passed over because there's going to be material and physical benefits that are going to come from it. Your love and your nurturing, the way that you've been created, the formative years of your children's lives, they are going to be Unbelievably influential. I read a 30-year study of children. It compared them. Ones with loving homes and ones that didn't. Ones that were deprived. And it talked about the things that it, it brings. And even partial deprivation of this love brings acute anxiety, excessive need for love, powerful feelings of revenge. And from these creates a person that's full of guilt and depression. The quality of a maternal instinct is, is undoubtable. And I want to tell you something. There's no substitute for prayer. Because no doubt, these women spent hours in prayer for young Timothy. One of the proudest things I am about and I love about my current situation is that God's hand and direction has taught me to pray for my children, to lay my hands on them. That they call me at night and say, Daddy, pray for me. The other day I was behind on some work and I wanted to get some work done. And, and my wife was like, what are you doing? They just want you to pray with them. I was like, I'm going to pray then I had to pray to get ready to pray and it was awesome. But see, 2 Timothy at the end says these words, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. This is Paul's final admonition. The foundation, the word of God. Know the word of God. Read the word of God. I can honestly tell you, and I'll close with this thought, the greatest moment I've had so far in my salvation, of all the things that I've seen happen, of all the powerful things that have 
impact my heart and give me goosebumps and do amazing things. The most amazing thing, I wasn't even there. I wasn't even there. The most amazing moment of my salvation was when my wife was able to tell the Easter story to my children and they were able to recite it back to me. Of every single thing that has happened in my salvation, I can tell you without, without question, that is the greatest moment. And I tried, man. They weren't having it. It was mommy. It was mommy sitting beside them and reading that story. You have a wonderful influence. The, I think I got a whole other sermon for come tonight, but let's close with that thought. Let's turn to a godly woman. Like every head bowed and every eye closed, we serve a good God. He loves you very much in this place. And very quickly, before we do anything, I want to give you an opportunity here this morning to give your life to Jesus. And if you're not right with God this morning, I want to encourage you in this.